2021. Well, we have a few suggestions. Time and time again, the one thing that has protected people against economic downturns is an education that allows them to adapt into varying careers. So go and build your toolbox at MSU Denver Online. MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs, and some of our very own staff members here at the MVR have taken MSU Denver online classes. Uh, Harrison Wind, who covers the Nuggets, says that all of his professors were super engaged and extremely responsive to emails, questions, and concerns. He said that it was easy to manage the work-school balance because all of these courses are structured for people who are working adults. Um, and most of the professors are working in the field that you're either in and trying to advance your career in or the field that you're trying to get into, which makes them great connections um, going forward as you enter or re-enter the workforce. Uh, if you want more information about the 40 plus online and hybrid programs that can get you a degree or the 700 plus courses that you can take on your path to that degree or just because you're interested, go to msudenver.com slash online. Nailed it, though. A little more excitement when we say Harrison Wynn's name. That's my one note for that. <laughs> oh, I mean, put some respect on Harrison Wynn's name. And uh, you you did on MSU Denver, though. So that's what matters. Harrison Wynn not paying our bills. MSU Denver is. This show is the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, draft is in their name. It is in ours. Uh, a little controversy among the crew here. I am, of course, here with Jake Schwan. It's Henry Chisholm, Justin Michael, my college football and draft guys. I let you handle our baby on its own. Last week, you guys drafted Joseph Osai. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> fine by me. Um, but the, first, the DraftKings controversy among the staff. I don't know how you fall in this, Jake. We're going to get into that. I gave out a baller parlay, which whatever. If they didn't hit, who cares? Ryan on bets gave out a baller parlay that's Safe man's parlay that does hit. Justin Michael saw the odds boost for the parlay, got in on it before listening to bets, and did what my parlay did. He hit all but one, but the one that he didn't hit is our Henry Chisholm's uh, Montana Grizz, who really blew it, really crapped the bed for us. Uh, the Grizz were up big in the first half, and I don't know what happened in the second half. So, yeah, uh, you know. Mixed feelings amongst the crew with uh, with the parlay, the parlay magic last night. It is wonderful to be back, fellas. Really looking forward to this show. Um, and yeah, let's start off by addressing the Broncos needs. It's been too long. We are a draft podcast. We get to talk prospects, college football, a little NFL. 
And now we got to focus on the big team here because you can go a lot of ways. I don't think it in the many, many years I've done this podcast, I don't think there's ever been a season where I was more torn on what the Broncos' biggest needs are. Uh, there is a million ways we can splice this here. And we're going to start with Henry. I know, Henry, you, you spent too much time preparing for this. You're underprepared for other sections. This is your time to shine. Let's start with the biggest Broncos need. We're going to go a little round the table. Biggest need. Start us off, buddy. You know, it's tough. Uh, this mm. is the part that I really, really enjoy the most about the draft is yeah. just like game planning which picks are worthy of which positions. I think that it's a super interesting uh, thought process, especially because you go through and it's like the defensive line isn't the biggest need. Is there room for an upgrade? Sure. But you look at the way the ages work with Jarrell Casey, like you don't know if Shelby Harris is back. What do you have with Demarcus Walker? And, and so last year, they add McTelvin Ajim, a pick that I just love because it's somebody who doesn't necessarily like fit into your short-term plans. But when you're dealing with the uncertainty of do we pay these guys to come back, having that kind of guy just as an option, one more guy who could work out, that's just so valuable. And how you use these mid-round picks, that's most important. But to answer your question, you know, it's easy to go quarterback. It's easy to go cornerback. Um, I, I think that if Justin Simmons leaves, then the answer is pretty clearly safety. Um, mm -hmm. But to me right now, I, I think that I'm going to go cornerback just because you have three you like in Callahan, Boye, and OJ Mudia. Um, and how much you like them, you know, that's very much up for debate. Uh, the thing that scares me, though, is just that they're so so injury prone. Like, they haven't yeah. been able to stay out on the field together. Boye's had his issues. Callahan has had his, like, big issues with injuries. They need to add a guy who can play. And I think that that is probably their first-round need. Um, at this point in my mind. And you went and assuming everyone is back, Raul. Because, of course, well, right. you said with the caveat of if Justin Simmons leaves. Yep. Because that's another way you could color this is, you know, well, maybe they should cut Von Miller. Maybe they should let, you know, they won't be able to sign Justin Simmons. They won't be able to sign Shelby Harris. You want to address those areas. Of course, if you looked at a national mock, a lot of people will say they need to upgrade on offense because the offense has been so putrid. But man, you look across that roster, hard to really say where's that major need. Though maybe there's some low-hanging fruit in that thought process. Jake, uh, speaking of low-hanging fruit, what direction would you go in on this one? Look, man, um, this problem's been an issue in Denver for a long time. And when you look around the division and you see the talent at quarterback, the Broncos have to step it up at the position. They need a guy that consistently can score this team some points, can lead them down the field. Whether or not Drew Locke is that guy, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's still got, what are we at, four or five games left in the season. So mm -hmm. it might be a bit early to kind of, you know, jump all over that. But the way I see Drew Locke's development at this point, I just don't see him, his peak getting anywhere close to Mahomes or Herbert, frankly, Derek Carr for that matter at this point. Um, you know, when you have the worst quarterback in your own division, I think that means you have to upgrade, um, especially when you have two of the most naturally talented quarterbacks in the entire league in your division. Um, and they're both very young. I just don't see 
how Drew Locke is going to be able to, you know, meet that ceiling or his ceiling meet even the floor of some of these guys, frankly. Yeah. And the question is, can they upgrade? Because easier said than done. Um, Especially in the draft, especially in the draft route. Justin, your thoughts on um, Henry and Jake's picks and uh, your biggest need on this Broncos roster. I think Henry made a good point about cornerback, especially given, you know, Bryce Callahan's recent injury. You don't really know what you've got before. I think he was a guy you felt pretty good about because you had him under contract for next year. You maybe not so worried about that. Now it's kind of like, we'll have to see if he's healthy. That gets even more complicated, especially when Bouye and some of these other guys can't really stay on the field. I do think there is a need there in the secondary. I get the argument at quarterback as well. I mean, Drew Locke has not, He's not lived up to what I thought he would be at this point. I will say, you know, if you're trying to compare people and Patrick Mahomes is who you're bringing up, there's not really another quarterback in the NFL. So I don't, I just, that's not really fair in my opinion, but I get it. I mean, he's in our division. It's going to be a factor for the next 10, 15 years, however long he's with the Chiefs. So you got to have a quarterback. It's a quarterback league. If you think there's an upgrade, maybe you go there. My counter would be, the Bengals got the best quarterback in the drafts last year, and he's not on the field right now because they couldn't protect him. The yeah. offensive line still sucks. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's just yeah. it's not good enough. Yeah. And I I get that it's not, you know, the deepest class in the world from an offensive line perspective, but there are some guys that, are, that I think could immediately come in at right tackle, maybe even guard, depending on what you want to do. There's some good centers. I just I think you gotta try and improve that offensive line especially now that you've got Garrett Bowles locked down and hopefully, you know, he continues to play at this pace that he has all in 2020. Oh man. So much to unpack. Um, Really valid points all around. And um, I tend to go the back seven versatile weapon whether that's a linebacker I can play in the nickel from time to time, uh, fitting that, you know, JOK mold, um, you know, that Shaq Thompson type mold, that Jabril Peppers type mold in some ways, or that corner, more the Jimmy Ward that the Niners drafted when Fangio was their defensive corner, the Butter Baker Tyra Matthew. A guy like that could really put the defense over the top. But is that a luxury pick? Just like I think, boy... A really nice pick is what you just said, Justin, is upgrading the O-line, but do I upgrade it at right tackle where I think if Juwan James could be healthy, I wouldn't I wouldn't squander that potential resource. And I I was high on Cushionberry, I was high on Reisner, I was high on Glasgow when they signed him. I've been incredibly disappointed by those three, especially Cushionberry. And I'm that to me is the greatest indictment. We can say a million things about the Broncos coaching staff. They have who everyone says is the best offensive line coach in the world, and he can't get his rookie center up to speed. It's uh, it's troubling. And Tom Cable, one of the few candidates to be the other real best O-line coach in the world, I mean, stole Munchak's lunch money 
uh, when the Raiders played the Broncos and the Raiders had the much more depleted offensive line and Cable had his guys ready to play. Munchak did not have his dudes ready to play. So as much as we can talk about players and as much as people like to just blab on about the coaching staff and nitpick these stupid decisions that, that we all get wrong on Madden every single day, um, you know, Munchak, the Munchak gets a real pass a lot of the time and a lot of the praise for bulls, but no one talks about, they can't pick up a blitz to save their life on an overload to one side or this rookie center who was a baller in the sec. The only O lineman to be given the number 18 Jersey, which is a huge deal at LSU. The only dude I evaluated at the senior bowl who had played in the national championship less than a week prior and was the only one who could shut down Javon Kinlaw one-on-one at Mobile. That same dude can't do anything anymore in the Broncos. So I'm I'm a little concerned by that whole O-line, but all that to say, do I get a utility O-lineman who maybe can be groomed as the right tackle, but right now you use them at, to slide them inside. And that's where Slater, the Northwestern kid, would fit that mold perfectly. There's a few guys in this class. Uh, Wyatt Davis, maybe not quite. Um, you know, I wonder if Liam Eckenberg, the left tackle at Notre Dame, if he fits that mold of a guy who you draft him to be your right tackle, but early on in his career, you, you, you put him inside. Um, that there are some candidates in this class, uh, or do you go straight up right tackle where you have more toolsy long guys? Um, and I'm with you on quarterback. If you find an upgrade, you gotta take it, but will they find an upgrade right now? They're in that 12 range. I don't think that we all don't think the top three dudes are dropping. Is Trey Lance an upgrade then? Is that the conversation we're having? Is Cal Trask an upgrade then? These are the tough conversations you start to have. And then all of this, you know, we talk now with a full roster. Let's see what happens in the offseason. Do they cut Von Miller? Do they, you know, where are things going to shift? Because at full strength, maybe the the best area you could address is inside linebacker, an area we haven't even said yet. So um, so many ways you can go. Uh, I'll say this, and I I don't want to... I get on these monologues uh, a little too long, but I'll say this cornerbacks, a great point. Bouye Callahan playing really good when they're healthy, but I was thinking this uh, lately. They play really good against offenses that aren't the offenses they need to worry about, which is to say, if you don't have a mismatch threat up the seam or in the slot, like Darren Waller or Travis Kelsey, the best in the world. If you don't have that, the Broncos are going to be able to handle you pretty nicely, especially if you don't have speed at wide receiver, because if everything's in front of those cornerbacks, they're locking you down outside. And if you don't have a real mismatch threat over the middle, forget it. The Broncos defense is going to shut you down. If they were in the NFC South, this defense would be dominating. Problem is they got to play the chiefs with Tyreek Hill outside and McCole Hardman outside and Travis Kelsey up the middle. That creates problems. They got to play the the Raiders that have that same thing. And then they got to play an athletic quarterback who's going to open spaces for that deep passing game in the Chargers. So that defense is really promising until they got to play who they got to play in this division. When they got to play that talent, then yeah, you do got to upgrade at cornerback. Plain and simple. Yeah, I completely hear all the needs at every other position. I mean... I'm not saying that yeah, quarter like it all falls on quarterback, and I'm not trying to compare him to Mahomes. I mean, I understand that's unfair, 
But just looking at this, I mean, analytically, just from a DVOA perspective, this team going back to 2015 has been a bottom eight offense and past DVOA. It's been horrendous. So, and I know that's not all in Drew Locke, obviously. I mean, there's a lot of journeyman quarterbacks in there and there's the, the aging corpse of Peyton Manning basically in there too. So there's a lot in that uh, that's not Drew Locke's fault, but I mean, the, the standard in Denver is the standard, right? I mean, they just have to get better quarterback play. It's just, it's as simple as that. I think, I mean, yeah, the offensive line does need help, but I mean, you know, Breeze never really had, or Breeze had bad offensive lines. Brady has had offensive lines that haven't always been great. You know, I mean, quarterbacks do kind of elevate the offensive line as well, as well as the receivers. So I just like to see a guy come in that could actually kind of do that for us instead of having, you know, the offensive line has to play perfect. The receivers have to play perfect. And then the quarterback has a chance. You know what I mean? Yeah. To me, you know, the important thing with Drew Locke is that there's still what five games left in the season. And we saw what he did with the last five games or whatever of last season. And that is very much on the table. I think that early on this season, I was fairly impressed, you know, especially knowing what we know now about that Titans team, the fact that that was a competitive game. That's impressive. Um, the, the, the Pittsburgh game, he gets knocked out, comes back and, you know, underwhelming performance against the Patriots. They won the game though. And that's really what matters. And it's tough to knock him too much for a win from there. You know, it's the chiefs and you know, the chiefs beat the Broncos up. And I think that the chiefs are going to win 50 to seven this week or something like that. And I don't think that that is going to change my opinion on Drew Locke because that is just where these two teams are at right now. But even in some of the tough games that Drew has had, it's felt like there were a lot of throws that were on the money. They just wasn't getting much help. Um, I'm not all in on Drew Locke, but I also think that if you're just constantly changing your quarterback, especially when it's a young guy, you're not really giving him a chance to succeed. You know, I'm not sure what the numbers are in terms of like quarterbacks who have seen a significant upgrade in their play after their first, what he's played 17, 18 games, something like that. It could be big. It could be small, but it does feel like writing a guy off at this point and saying he's not the one might be a little bit too quick. What I will say is that there's no world in which the Broncos shouldn't draft a quarterback this year. I just don't think that you necessarily need to be spending a first round pick on a guy who's saying, okay, your turn get in there and play to me i kind of like the idea of you know maybe in the third round fourth round whenever there's a guy that you like snag that guy let him spend a year on the bench give drew some more time again this is kind of dependent on how these last few weeks pay out or work out and who knows maybe this does wind up being a russell wilson situation or a dak prescott situation um where you got a guy who just works um the kirk cousins also, you know, eventually, you know, that was that same draft as RG3, a mid-round guy who wound up getting the job. And I think that that's where the Broncos are as of right now. Now, if it's a tough finish for Drew, then yeah, you're going to have to pick a guy up earlier. And if it's a, a, a better finish for Drew, honestly, I still think that you should be picking a guy up right here. Because if you're pulling a roster spot from Brett Rippon because you found some younger guy who might have higher upside, that is a good, better use of that roster spot than Brett Rippon. And so that's 100%. where I am. Is at this point, not necessarily just give Drew another year, get him a little bit of competition with a Kellen Mond or a, you know, even like a Mikhail Cunningham. If you're all Malik in, Malik Willis, yeah, Eric King, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are guys who you can bring in and say, hey, maybe he pops in camp and he's the one we're going with. 
But otherwise, this is probably Drew's job for another year. And after that, then we'll figure it out. Do you move Drew? Do you say it's an open competition between this guy and Drew because you like what you saw in practice? Do you say, you know what? Now it's time for us to just say another first-round pick. But that's where I am with the quarterbacks right now. Really out on Rippon as a backup? Mm. I just don't. The idea Shame on you. Keeping a guy there the- is a such thing as a good backup quarterback, and that is what mm-hmm. Brett Rippon is suited to be. Somebody who understands your offense perfectly. Is he special? No, but he's not going to lose you the game. He's going to come in and execute. Yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know. I don't love the idea of bringing in another dude who wants to be a. St- I mean, I know Rippon wants to be a starter, quote unquote. Everybody wants to be a starter, but I think he pretty much knows his role more or less. You draft a quarterback in the second or third round. He's still, you know, like firmly expecting to be that guy at some point. Yeah. You're opening yourself up to a, you know, a quarterback controversy next year that I just, I don't know. I just don't think it's worth it. I, I do think, you know, if there is a guy you really want to go after in the first round, I know that that's kind of ironic because it's also opening up a quarterback controversy, but it's worth the risk if he's going to be a starter. I don't think it's necessarily worth the risk for a guy that's, you know, maybe going to pan out a couple years from now. I just think it's not worth, you know, putting that in your locker room, creating that tension. We'll kind of have to see. One point I wanted to respond to that Henry brought up uh, regarding the Chiefs. Look, you know, Drew isn't, he wasn't the reason that the Chiefs won that game last time. But Drew definitely didn't help Denver, you know, be in that game or even remain competitive. The Chiefs defense has improved, but it's not like they're this stout unit. I mean, he should at least be able to move the ball against the Chiefs. The Raiders are going to do that at all last time. On them. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think this is a big game for him. I don't think people expect yeah. the Broncos to win, but I think they expect the Broncos offense to be a lot more competitive. Interesting. Honestly, he's got some pretty big division matchups coming up in general because uh, him and Fanjo, their biggest knocks is how they've performed against division opponents, I'd say. Um, but I mean, Really, if you believe in Drew, if you're willing to believe, invest in Drew to develop him, or if you're just saying, man, we need to be doing better at quarterback than this, is really the crux of this quarterback O-line debate. It's a bit of the chicken and the egg. And, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with Justin in that the O-line, does, that right tackle spot needs to be upgraded. Whether you have the upgrade already on your roster, he just opted out this year, or you're still searching is another question. But that has to be upgraded. And regardless of the pretty bad O-lines he's played with, statistically speaking, on sack rate per uh, dropback, Drew Locke is an outlier in how he's performed under pressure and been able to limit that pressure. And it really is, you know, I think Jake, his ceiling can be Derek Carr. I knew, I know you said, I, I, I wonder if you can even get there. I think he could, but man, you got to invest in him and Derek Carr, his kryptonite is pressure. And that's why the Raiders are paying like damn near 40 million combined for their two bookend tackles. And they invested a bunch of resources in their three interior guys too. Cause they know with that quarterback, they have to protect them or they're in trouble. Um, and I don't think that's the case with drew where you need to spend like 60% of your offensive cap on the O line to protect them uh, because he is pretty good on the run, but drew needs to clean some things up. I mean, it's, 
Un, there's no doubt that he needs to clean things up. And I am intrigued by this quarterback class and I wouldn't pass on a guy I really love uh, for him. And, you know, but it's probably not going to work out that way, guys. Uh, I, I don't know what you think if, if they can lose their way into being a top seven pick. It's on the I table. don't know. Yeah, it's on the table. It is on the table for sure. Uh, the problem is their strength of schedule is so good. Yeah, that that's going to kill them. Whatever tier of record they're in, they're always the team with the last pick of that tier. You know, it sucks. Um, so we're going to see because the question's probably going to be beyond the O-line is do you believe in one of these quarterbacks enough ahead of Drew to not only go select them, but to trade up and go select them, mm-hmm. to do what you have to do when you need to go get your quarterback and that's give up multiple firsts. Are you willing to do that? Are we in that spot? Um, and we could do a, a three part other episode, not even an, a whole other episode. We could do like a whole month of other episodes debating that and debating which of these quarterbacks in this quarterback class we really like to, to go all in on. Um, so yeah, I, uh, lots of meat on the bone for this discussion. Um, and I wonder, will will Fancho adjust his stuff, um, to his scheme to fit to defend these offenses in the AFC West better. Will they want to invest in the O line and go after one of these guys who can both be a serviceable right tackle but be moved inside? Or do you want one of those more projectable set and forget tackles? He's going to be raw like Bulls, but in a couple years, he could be a high end guy. Um, or do you go the conventional route, the inside linebacker, which we haven't even really talked about, or that slot weapon, which they just added Will Park. So who knows how that factors into all this? To me, to me, I don't think offensive line should honestly be like a consideration in the first round. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but the truth is like you are committed to Garrett Bowles and Juwan James. And there are enough places on the roster where you can, where you can fit in a new starter that if you're drafting a tackle in the first round, odds are I think he's going to be winding up on the bench behind Juwan James and Garrett Bowles this year. And if you want to like slide him in and try to get him work somewhere else, I guess you can go that route. But to me, that just means that's not a big enough need this year. Now, if you're stuck in a situation like this next year when you don't have Juwan James, that's the time to go get yourself a tackle um, in the first round. I will say that in the second round, third round, right around there, finding yourself a piece, a guy who, again, maybe he does pop in camp and you do want to sub him in for, I guess if you're looking at tackles, it probably wouldn't be Cushenberry, but you could slide Glasgow in and take Cushenberry out. To me, it's like, you just need to start adding more guys and yeah. wait until this era of offensive line is over. Like, cause I don't think they're moving Glasgow out of the bench. And I do think it's too soon to just say like, no Lloyd Cushenberry, you are not the answer. Right. We're going out and getting a first round player and he is going in your spot, you know? And so I just don't think uh linebacker is a spot. And one more thought on the Brett Rippon thing, like instead of just having like an, an old, like vet guy, who's your good backup quarterback, the Broncos are not in a situation where they can be affording a roster spot for that. Like they need guys who could turn out to be good football players there. You know, it's kind of like the Patriots when they had Jimmy Garoppolo in there. Uh, and then they wound up with Jarrett Stidham who factored in. so the- rare though, man, like the, the plan B that can actually be expected to be a competent starter. Most of the time you're just, you're chasing something that isn't going to be there because you don't give that guy those reps. Yeah. But, but I think that, you're typically just going to not be getting a guy. And that's why like just adding some more, like just a little bit more talent to that spot 
at least give yourself a chance to find something there instead of just saying like, hey, we have Brett Rippon. He's going to be our backup quarterback for the next 15 years. It's like if you want a backup quarterback, if you get to the place where that's all you need is a guy who just in case somebody your quarter, just in case your quarterback gets hurt, you're you're fine. I think you can go out and find that guy more often than not. I guess my whole point is just that if your quarterback goes down, your entire plan goes out the window anyways. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just think if you're trying to like plan under, under that scenario, you're just setting yourself up for failure. But I, I get what you're saying. You know, why waste a roster spot on a guy who you don't truly believe is like an NFL, you know, capable starter, a guy you would hand the hand the keys to the car to. Yeah. A couple more things I think are worth mentioning. Jawan James is on the books for 13 million. Uh, his cap number next year's dead cap number is 19 million. So he's going to be on the team next year. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Drafting a right tackle in the first round, I think would be a pretty big mistake, especially given those numbers. And real quick, just on the entire quarterback room conversation that you guys have been having. I mean, I see it both ways. I think both yeah. of you present some good points, Justin. Um, I agree with you. I'm of the mindset. If your starter goes down, you're basically screwed anyway. I mean, the backup quarterback at that position at that point doesn't really matter. I mean, what are, what are we really asking for here? It's very rare that you get like a Nick Foles situation, or like you said, a Jimmy G situation where you can go three and one without your starter. Um, That being said, I do think Locke needs to be pushed. I don't think the Broncos should go into 2021 with the same quarterback room. I do think it'd be good for Locke if he does have, you know, someone to kind of push him and light that fire under him a bit. That way we can really see is he up to this? Can he actually be the long-term quarterback of the future? Or is he going to, you know, still kind of play the same? And are we going to be in the same situation um, next year? And if we are in that situation, I'd rather just have another guy in that room that we could just throw in there and maybe see if we have something rather than throwing out another uh, Jeff Driscoll, Blake Bortles, you know, that's just, that's a waste. Yeah. Important to remember with this opt out this year, on Juwan James's contract, 2020 is a ghost year. What 2020 was going to be gets pushed to 2021. So you are stuck with Juwan James for the long term, whether you want it or not. And we're hopeful maybe this year off, he's nice and fresh. Uh, because all of a sudden, the Broncos, that could be a real like strength of the team is their, their, their two tackles. When's the last time you could say that? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like. I think Mike Shanahan was coaching this team. Uh, Okay. Let's close this out before we go to break your favorite candidate then for your top need, your dream scenario. Um, We're going in reverse order. Justin with your favorite O-line candidate then for the Broncos. Okay. No cheating. I said dream scenario. No, no. Trevor Lawrence, Penny Sewell, not allowed guys. Sorry. I'm taking those (laughs) off the board. So if, if not Penny Sewell, who would be your dream scenario on the Ola? Probably Darisaw, I guess. I mean, I yeah. don't. Yeah. There's not a ton of guys, like I said in the first place, that I view as, you know, you have to take these dudes in the first round, can't miss prospects. Sewell, you know, he's a completely different discussion. Yeah. I think, you know, if you are going O-line, you're just going with guys you hope that are going to pan out. I think Darisaw behind Sewell is probably your best bet, at least at the tackle position. I don't. Yeah. The, I know the Mayfield hype at Michigan has kind of shot up recently. I still don't love that in the first round. To me, he's more of like a second round, third round type guy. I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty firm on Darisaw. What do you guys think? I no think Leatherwood. 
it's tough. I, I like Leatherwood a lot, and he's more versatile. Exactly. But with where what... the Broncos are at right now, I yeah. think I think Darisaw probably goes higher than Leatherwood ultimately. Yes. So you know, if you're picking in that ten to fifteen range, I think you're looking more at Darisaw. Whereas if you win a couple of these games, maybe you drop back to like you know eighteen, nineteen. That's Leatherwood territory all day. Right. I think he's you know I think he's going to be fine. I just don't think he's going to be that guy, that sexy pick you want in the first round. Jake, what were you going to say? I think if the Broncos are picking in this area where they are right now, kind of middle of the first round, the offensive lineman I'd take my chance on would be Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, mm. You want to talk about versatility yeah. as well? That yeah, right he there. fits that mold. Yep. And he's playing fantastic at tackle too. So yes, I mean, he is. that. I think he's just been, I mean, Daniel Jeremiah kind of owned me on Twitter when we talked to, when I uh, quote tweeted him a while ago. Um, this is Jake's yeah. guy. If Denver ends up with him, we are going to have to do a podcast just solely Wait. dedicated. And like, Back this up. You before. got dunk, dunked on by Daniel Jeremiah on Twitter for well, quote tweeting him. No, I didn't, I didn't get dunked what on. I <laughs> well, he tweeted about Elijah Vera Tucker. So I quote tweeted him. I was like, yo, this guy has uh, been awesome. And I said that, he may have worked his way into the first round. There's a scouting lesson in here too. Uh-huh. Daniel Jeremiah responded. He goes, I think he already is a first rounder. Uh, I think the lesson here is I learned this at SIS when scouting, trust your eyes, man, call it when yeah. you see it. I yeah. mean, from watching him, I thought he was legit and a first rounder and I still threw the maybe in there and Daniel Jeremiah humbled me a bit. The qualifiers will get you. Yeah. Uh, good in discussions with your wife. You guys will learn that in a few years. Not so great in draft evals. You might as well be confident. Better to be confident and wrong than wishy-washy and correct when it comes to the draft. Um, that sounds stupid, but that, even if you're an actual scout, even not just a media person like us, that that really does ring true. Um, Jake, I believe you went second in the order. Zach Wilson? Let's uh, set and forget Zach Wilson and move on here. Think so. I mean, unless yeah. you miraculously find your way into the Fields Lawrence discussion or you trade yeah. into that discussion, I think Zach Wilson's the guy. Um, I will say I don't have a cornerback to pick yet, but if we're going to go defense, it'd be JOK for me. Just I'd love Ooh. to see that versatility on that defense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, I do wonder if Fields were available with Trey Lance and Zach Wilson, I don't think Fields would be at the top of Mr. John Elway's draft board. Just a hunch yeah uh henry your favorite cornerback yeah it's it's i mean the, the answer is patrick sutan like you're just hoping patrick sutan falls to wherever the broncos are picking yeah. from there you know you can get nitpicky but i will say that what really disappoints me about this particular draft class is just that there isn't a safety worthy of discussing you know i really wish that this was a debate because the way i see it like you, you need to get cornerback or safety in the first round. In the second and third, you're getting the other one of those. You're getting the, an offensive lineman, and things kind of open up from there. And so it gets you into this weird place where it, I, I'm still torn cornerback or safety. Um, I'd almost just consider JOK to be a safety and say, like, he's a good option. But, again, like, I don't think you need – I don't think this is the year to do, like, a big linebacker upgrade because you have yeah. two that are playing pretty well. You have holes. Like if you want to find a mid-round guy who can cover, hopefully have better luck than Justin Sernod. But I do think JOK or Sertan is really what I'm looking at right here. JOK definitely at the one of the top candidates for me. You know who'd be interesting though? Javon Holland. He's that type of safety. Yeah. 
from Oregon who can play in the slot too, who'd be really intriguing, but not a top 15 pick. Nope. This is a trade back in the first, take a Leatherwood or something, or take a quarterback or something, then trade up in the second and you get Holland or you get LeCount or uh, LeConte, as I like to call him. Okay, that was great. I, uh, I'm with all of you. I will say this. Joseph Osai, 42nd prospect on my board. I believe the sixth highest ranked edge. So I don't have a dream scenario pick for my need since I was kind of wishy-washy. I can tell you the Osai pick. I know you guys wanted to mix it up, but we've got many more mock drafts to do. Don't love it. Don't love it, fam. Uh, Would have rathered Aziz Ojuri or someone like that if we had to go. We're going to talk about five in front of him. Sorry? Who are the five in front of him? Oh, let's uh, let's go through that real quick. Obviously, Russo, obviously, Pay, obviously, Micah Parsons. Yes, in that order. We're going to have to talk a lot about Parsons because I just a little skeptical. And then it's uh, Ojuri and then Osai. So what? That four in front of them. So not even that egregious. Interesting. You don't have the other Miami guys up there. Phillips or Roche. Phillips or Roche. Yeah. And even uh, Richard uh, was in that range too. Yeah. These edges, man, they're intrigued. Like this is a great year to wait till day day two for an edge. And maybe you guys know Adam Anderson, if he were to declare might be the dude. I pull the trigger in on to develop. Henry, let's take a break real quick. Oh, good idea. And Thanks. I am prepared for that. Um, oh, Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, we Ooh, yeah. love everything that Breckenridge Brewery does. Has anybody here tried the Juice Drop IPA yet? Did we have that on a recent show, the Juice Drop? Nope. Oh. Was no, we didn't. we didn't. We didn't. No. We didn't. Tell me about it, though. Henry. What was that morning exquisite. IPA we had? That was the Christmas ale. Oh, that's right. That, that's that is probably what it was. Um. Oh yeah. yeah, we did have another IPA, didn't we? I know. I'm trying to remember what it was. I think that's what that was. was that, oh, that was so delicious and drinkable. Whatever we drank was very good for an IPA at 9:30 in the morning. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Mm, okay. Let's just assume that was the juice drop because I know RK's tried it, and that was probably where he tried it too, and he just remembered the name because. He didn't have to have so many shots of tequila that morning, which always seems to be the case. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Juice Drop IPA, so good. Honestly, so many good beers. Um, you really can't go wrong with Breckenridge. I'm a big Strawberry Sky guy. Um, and if you aren't interested in beer, well, guess what? Somehow this brewery is still for you because um, right now at Breckenridge Brewery, at the farmhouse, their headquarters, they have set up an ice skating rink. Um, so if you have $3 and a pair of skates, head out there and skate, or you can bring $6 if you don't have skates and they'll give them to you. There's also like a free tubing hill. Um, and of course there's food and beer and all that kind of stuff. And it's all safe and socially distanced. Um, great time to be supporting Breck. And hopefully you guys do that. If you want to pick up any of these beers, of course you can go to the uh, beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website. Also, uh, DraftKings Sportsbook, which we mentioned earlier, has an awesome special going on right now uh, it, for new users. So if you guys haven't signed up to DraftKings Sportsbook uh, yet, now is the time to do it because 
DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new players the chance to earn a sign-up bonus up to $1,000 when signing up using promo code DNVR. Um, oh, and I was wondering why this changed. It's because I'm on the wrong week. There we go. Um, mm. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all college basketball fans who sign up now the chance to win $100 when betting on either Gonzaga or Baylor to win this clash of Titans. Um, plus, you'll still get that uh, deposit bonus up to $1,000 that I mentioned earlier using promo code DMVR. Um, there's so many different ways to bet, live betting, betting on your favorite players, all sorts of different things. So join us, take advantage of this deal, and download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DMVR when you sign up for your shot to turn $1 into $100 when betting on either Gonzaga or Baylor to win. That's right. Bet $1 to win $100. Use promo code DMBR during sign-up to take advantage of these great offers. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Justin, you're a hoops guy. Who do you have in that Gonzaga-Baylor game? $1 Gonzaga to wins comfortably. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I could not agree more. Big advantage, uh, front court. Yeah. Also, maybe in the back court too, because that back court is lights out. That team's insane. Um, actually, I mean, that's free ninety nine dollars. That's really really nice. Uh, we have awards to talk about. Yes, Henry. Oh yeah. So here's here's what we're gonna do. So uh, this is the first week um, for the like Football Writers Association of America nominations yep. for yep. all Americans. The way it works is they have like. 20 members of that group that you have heard of like Phil Steele, like all the big names in college football. And they're yeah. the ones who actually decide the all Americans. What mm -hmm. everybody else does is submit their nominations and then they'll get to like look through those and use them to like decide where to go. Yeah. If there's like players they haven't heard of. They get to check. They'll see how many votes everybody got that kind of stuff. And it's our way of having some sort of say, like I said, they're, this is the first week. This is the first ballot. They do it in two ballots. This week is um, defense and offensive line, plus there are a couple yeah. of awards too. And so what we're going to do on this podcast is talk through who our All-American choices would be uh, and also throw in some picks for these awards as well. So here's the project. Um, it's a base 4-3 defense, so four defensive linemen, three linebackers, two corners, two safeties, and then five offensive linemen, but it's split up so that you pick one center and you pick four other offensive linemen. On top of that, um, there's an award. The Outland Trophy goes to the best interior player, so interior offensive linemen or defensive linemen. We've got to come up with uh, three names for mm. that. And then also for uh, the, oh, what's it called? The Defensive Player of the Year Award. Um, Nagurski. This one is Nagurski. Okay, so the Nagurski Award. Um, and it's top three defensive player of the year, any position. And let's just start with the uh, offensive line or defensive line. Uh, who do you guys have uh, in there? Are we putting edges on the defensive line? Yeah, so they don't have the edge position. Um, so if it's a linebacker, you call it a linebacker. We probably will be defensive end in most cases. Um, yeah, with a FWA. Not good. Talk edges only, people. That's the only way to go, right? Uh, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. So lay it on us, Jake. Lay it on us. Um, we're going edge here. Yeah, let's go edge. Edge. Um, 
Man, um, I think you got to throw Quiddy Pay at least in there. Um, yeah. Man, just looking at the list right now, I mean, there's a couple guys, I guess, for the second one. I mean, you got the Georgia guy, Ojolari. Um, yeah. Jalen Phillips has really come on of late. Um, it's so hard so, for me to not put an ACC or SEC guy in. Exactly. Because yeah. those dudes have been playing for so much longer. I mean, Pitt has some real good candidates and Patrick for Jones and Rashad Weaver. Um, we haven't talked about him nearly enough. He just got that senior bowl invites going to have his biggest game um, of his college career. Taron Jackson though, has been a terror for coastal out on the edge. Um, there are a lot of nice choices, but not really anyone that super jumps out at me. Joseph Osai would also kind of be in that conversation. He's got 14 uh, tackles for a loss on the year. Justin, where would you lean for this? I'm going to throw one out here. And remember, this is not necessarily an NFL draft perspective. This yep. is all American, which is a you know a different conversation. And I think, you know, help some of these guys that are not necessarily power five in terms of, because you can look at surely what have they done from a production standpoint? And yeah. to me, I'm going to go to Arkansas state and look at Justin Rice mm. defensive end slash defensive tackle, kind of depending on what you look at. He's number one in the country right now in yeah. solo tackles. Um, he's got 18 and a half for a loss, 76 total seven sacks. This is a guy that's just produced. He was actually the 2020 mountain West preseason player of the year transferred over from Fresno state. So, I mean, this is a guy that's putting up these numbers in a system on a team that he joined, like, literally two and a half weeks before the season started and is just putting up monster numbers. I actually think he, he might even be in the conversation for defensive player of the year. He's not going to get the recognition he deserves just given that he's playing at Arkansas state. And like, you know, we just talked about sec they've been playing forever, the level of competition, the politics, all of that. But if we're talking all American, I'm going to give Justin Rice some love, former mountain West guy and a guy that's been balling out. Awesome. Uh, I'll throw uh, Zion Tupuolo Hutui out there. Uh, got that name right. But Crazy. he, uh, over at Washington, has been kind of the cornerstone of everything they've been able to do defensively. He's the country's leader in sacks per game, only guy with double or two sacks per game. Uh, he's third in tackles for loss per game. He's been a monster. And honestly, like, he's the guy breathing down Nate Landman's neck for uh, – the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year award. Um, so I'm definitely including him. He's been on a monster tear. Um, Nick Kendall was telling me all about him. He's been crazy. And, you know, CSU, one of the top pass rushing units in all the country, too. That's happening in limited time as well. Um, there's definitely some elements on that front that you could throw out there. Man, I really, my choice would come down between Patrick Jones who we've highlighted before or, and he's a fun story, Taron Jackson, but I guess I'd go Jones. I guess I'd go Jones. Um, it's, I was so it's, hoping you'd go Jackson there. I just love coastal Carolina. What a fun story. Who doesn't? And I mean, he lights up BYU. He's going to be on that radar as well. BYU has a ginormous defensive lineman. Who's like just a freshman. He's massive, though. He flashes every single time I'm watching him. He would be a candidate as well. Though, of course, I can, can't even remember his name right now, so that doesn't help my case. But um, Yeah. Those are some good names. Let's move along to the linebackers. Um, 
I'm, I'll start with Nate Landman. He has been putting up monster production. And again, from a draft pro- prospect standpoint, you can ask some questions. You know, he, he's doing better in coverage, you know, yards per route run allowed. He's in the top third of like the 30 linebackers who've taken the most snaps in the Pac-12. That's not like otherworldly numbers, but it's good enough to say that he checks all of the boxes on top of having some plus traits. On top of saying like he, he you can put him out there, but also he's so explosive. He's been uh, he was the national defensive player of the week by the Bronco Nagurski Award, Walter Camp Football. Um, they, they he's he's done all sorts of different things. He, he's putting up crazy numbers for a defense that is one of the best in the country in a bunch of different stats, um, which I'm trying to pull up. I don't see him. Oh, there we go. Um, 18th in rush defense in the country, second in the Pac-12. Um, only two teams better in the Pac-12 on third downs. Um, th- only three teams in the country better on fourth downs. Like they- They're just very consistent all the way through here. And Nate is fourth in the country in solo tackles per game. Um, only 23 players with more tackles to loss per game. Only six players with more sacks per game. Like He's just a very well-rounded player who's putting up big numbers on a good defense. God, I'd love to see Landman end up in Denver. He's not a guy that you would, you know, invest in early, but man, fourth round or something, mm-hmm. I could see it. Yeah, we'll see where he goes. That might that be a little f- high still. I don't know. That fit next to AJ Johnson concerns me. So. Yeah. That's like, I'm all in on the Broncos taking a linebacker, but I think like rounds like three to five, and it's got to be somebody who provides like, uh, coverage like somebody who just wants to yeah. in for somebody else and i don't think that nate fits that perfectly so i guess i'll guy. go next oh, oh go ahead. ahead no go ahead uh we're still a linebacker right yeah i think you gotta go zavin collins at tulsa wow. that's kind of the, the obvious pick and so i'm sorry if i'm stealing that one from either of you but getting I've, a lot of hype he is he's, he's just putting up crazy numbers i mean you look at some of these four picks two forced fumbles, two defensive touchdowns. He's got four sacks, 50 total tackles. He's just putting putting up numbers all over the place. In that South Florida game, he was a wrecking ball, stripped him multiple times. It's just one of those things where, yeah, he's not going to get the draft love. I don't think that some of these other guys are going to get. He's he, going he you know, to the first round, to shoot up. Yeah. First yeah. round? Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, I feel pretty. Ben Bulger's new uh, new mock. He's uh he's in the top twenty five. Uh, he's got the size. He's got the yeah. size. He's an intriguing dude. I, I watched him some from Tulsa. Honestly, I was pretty under uh, against Oklahoma State. I was honestly very underwhelmed. But I need to I need to dig in way more because that's not where he had all his production. You know, so you're you're nominating him for entirely different reasons and you know, tough to judge a guy at Tulsa going against Oklahoma State. And that's the hard argument for any of these guys in the all-American debate. It's, you know, how do you how do you match up what Justin Rice is doing in the Sun Belt versus, yeah. you know, what Quiddy Pay is doing against the Big Ten? It's it's kind of a tough comparison. Rice's numbers blow him out of the water right now, but you know, he's kind of eaten up on that lesser competition. Yeah. I just like giving some of these G five guys love because I cover a G five team. Xavion yeah. deserves it. He he needs to be up there. Um you know, uh, Jake, I'll let you go next if you don't steal JOK from me. Well, that's where I was going to go. I was going to yeah. say you got to fit him in somewhere. I know because of the 4-3 format, it's kind of awkward, but I think you have to throw him in there. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and there's a, there's a lot of guys. I mean, you got Dylan Moses and everything. Two guys, though, yeah. that I think are kind of a bit under the radar. Northwestern has a really solid linebacking duo. Uh, Patty Fisher, he's been playing there for a long time. And Blake Gallagher has been making plays, too. Um, so those guys, I think, definitely deserve some consideration. Uh, to go back to Zavin Collins, um, I did watch that Oklahoma State game, Andre, and I agree, kind of underwhelming. Um, you know, just a weird situation for that team, though. I mean, they're playing a lot of tight front, just trying to like contain uh, Hubbard and that rushing attack from Oklahoma State. And I mean, they were obviously outmatched yep. uh, talent wise. But um, I got some Darius Leonard vibes almost, which people listening to this are like, oh, so he's going to have 5,000 tackles in his first two seasons. Well, I hated Darius Leonard. I thought he looked like trash in Mobile. I thought in the FCS tape, he looked like trash. He lacked both physicality and suddenness coming downhill. And I wasn't convinced about the mobility uh, and range moving backwards or sideline to sideline. Boy, was I proven wrong. So if he reminds me of a dude like that, then hopefully I can learn from my mistakes. Beautiful. I think you nailed it because sideline to sideline is definitely a concern I have with Collins um, and as well as pass uh, defense. I didn't really see much of man coverage at all. And I watched the UCF game from this year as well. I didn't really see much man coverage or really he was dropping deep in the UCF game. But against Oklahoma State, he was kind of just, you know, trying to fit the run a lot. Uh, he's yeah. an intriguing guy, though. He's huge. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, my can my candidate's definitely JOK. I think uh, the Missouri kid Bolton definitely deserves uh, to be thrown out there. Honestly, maybe the most impressive linebacker I've seen this year. There are two I'll, I'll throw out there. I hope I'm not stealing yours, Hank. Chaz Surratt, UNC, similar to Xavion Collins, way more of a badass from the tape I've seen. And how about Penny Sewell's younger brother? Yes. How good has he looked, huh? No, I'm I'm seriously considering including him in my three linebackers. He That's has crazy. been incredible. Anybody who was at like the well, none of you were. It was a pretty small like half friends giving what you can get away with. But uh, we were watching that Oregon game, and I just kept saying like, guys, you got to watch this. Like just just watch number one the entire time. First of all, just look at him when the camera zooms in and see how he fills out that uniform because it's pretty crazy to see, especially remember when you're 18. And then, like, 15 seconds into all of that hype, he, like, he, he had a forced fumble, and they, like, brought it back. It's like, dude, this is just what he does. He is this good, and I'm not sure if I can actually include him in my top three in the country, but he certainly deserves to have his name mentioned. A lot of people would say Jabril Cox from LSU, who's gotten lost in the shuffle in that terrible Tigers season, but the uh, he's the North Dakota State transfer, right? Yeah. He's good. He's really played well. Yeah. The other guy, Jacoby Stevens, is pretty solid as well. Where's he at, Jake? Tell the people. L no, the LC guy? Yeah. Oh, right, right. Yeah. He's the other. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and I should also say, like, just with the buffs, it isn't just Nate Landman playing linebacker. Carson Wells, is he's out of his mind. Like, he's the outside he's linebacker. He's got two sacks already this season. He has six and a half tackles for loss. Again, they played three games. Um, he, he has an interception. He's only two players in the country at any position have more pass up pass breakups per game than Carson Wells, the linebacker. Um, so he's been outstanding. I don't think you can get him in the all American conversation, but he's certainly first team all pack 12. In my mind. I would argue he's in some ways been more valuable to that defense than Landman has though. Landman's yeah. getting all the shine from it. Yeah. Uh, what's the next one, Hank? Um, cornerbacks. We need two cornerbacks. 
I'll start with Sertan. Like he seems Tough. like the closest thing to a lockdown cornerback in college football this year. Yeah. He's in one of those spots. Where you go after that is tough, though, especially because it's, I mean, yeah. do you value what a couple of guys did in one or two games versus yes, you know, exactly. an entire season? Right. Because it's a really weird debate this year. The best corner performances I've seen this year are probably Tyson Campbell, that first big matchup of the season. Who the heck was that against? Florida? Uh, is that the Auburn game? Auburn? Yeah, there you go. There you go. We set, shut down Seth, Seth Williams. Yeah. And then Jace, Jace Horn, right? Yeah, Jace Horn, Auburn the one. Well. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe, maybe there's an asterisk to be put on there, right? Uh, I think those are the best corner performances I've seen this year. But the one guy just dipped out and declared early, um, and yeah, the other didn't look all that impressive after that. Darian Kendrick, we're talking a lot about guys rising up mock drafts. Darian Kendrick in that same mock I referenced on the Athletic. Um, where Savian Collins made his, his way into the first round. The Broncos pick was Darian Kendrick, the cornerback out of Clemson. He's the next in line after Travion Mullen, after AJ Terrell. Uh, this guy's twitched up, fluid hips, um, really that kind of speedy outside corner. He would fit that upgrade we were talking about in the first segment for the Broncos um, corner. So I guess... I throw those names out, but I find this to be the hardest position to uh, to give an award to because it's exactly what you were saying, Justin. Is it a career achievement award or is it the best performance of the year? Where do we strike that balance? Sean Wade, another guy too that you got to throw out there at cornerback. I mean, I know he got kind of worked against Penn State uh, by Dotson, but other than that, he's played pretty well, I thought. Um, in the shootout against Indiana uh, two weeks ago, he made a pick six uh, from Penix, and that ended up being really being the difference in that game. Speaking of Indiana, their corner Jamar Johnson has really stood out, though he was suspended one game for punching a guy, and then I'm, I'm not so sure how he performed against Ohio State. I need to put him under the uh, microscope with that one. So I'll throw another one out there. Um, Elijah Molden, the cornerback mm. from Washington. Yeah. Uh, like we talked a little bit about the pass rushers ETF um, being a really big reason why Washington is undefeated and looks to be on the path to pack. Like they control their destiny. If they beat Oregon, then they're in, if they don't, then they aren't. Um, and it's kind of weird when it's such a like short season to include these guys. But uh, I, I do think that he has been very good and deserves to uh, get a shout out. Plus, like, at the same time, as, as somebody who covers the Pac-12, they kind of expect me to nominate some Pac-12 players and do that. Yeah, you know? totally. He got a Daniel Jeremiah shout-out today. So. Oh, really? Yeah. I said Tyson Campbell. I think a lot of people would argue Eric Stokes is the best uh, corner at Georgia and has played the best this year. And we've said a lot of uh, SEC cornerbacks, maybe the best corner in the country is Derek Stingley who's not draft eligible, but he's at LSU. And much like Jabril Cox, he's getting forgotten in these awards because the LSU Tigers have been one of the worst defending champions in uh, college football history this year. Um, but still, the, there are some individual players who are still standing out on that squad. Yeah. You could yeah. kind of throw Asante Samuel Jr. in you could. that you could. conversation. Maybe yep. not the cleanest record, but... Yeah. 
Uh, one more guy. I know we can do this all day, but uh, Shakir Brown from Michigan State. He's been playing really well. Also, he had two picks last week. He's now tied for the lead, uh, uh, lead in the nation in picks with five this year. Uh, he's played pretty well. Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, safeties. Like, who's even playing, man? Who's know, even yeah. playing? Um, it's such a mess. I mean, I, Talona Hufanga from USC has played two games. I lo- love the kid, but he's played two games. Um, you know, Holland's not playing. It's probably LeCount. It's probably LeCount, but we're all kind of like, eh, toss our arms up on this one because safeties. That's been one of those positions where the dudes just aren't totally there this year. Two years in a row. Yeah, it happens. They were and the lack of reps, I think, really probably exposed some of these yeah. young guys, especially just the lack of training camp and, and getting thrown out there. We have seen the secondaries improve a little bit as the college football season has gone on. It's still not a banner year for really anybody defensively. I mean, there's not, there's not like a defense in the country that I'm just, oh, man, you don't want to play them at any given point. I think they're everybody. You can score on anybody right now just with yeah. how well these offenses are playing. But just the lack of reps, I think, is really killing some of these secondary guys. Just, you know, trying to get trying to get familiar, you know, with your other secondary yeah. dudes. That's one of those things that, you know, I don't think the casual football observer is necessarily going to consider, you know, mm-hmm. what are they doing? Well, they've played about six days together. So it's just a, a weird year. And it, it's point. unfortunate because I can't really think of a safety across the country right now that I'm just like, oh, man, you got to have him. No, because Andre Sisco's been injured all year. He hasn't played. I mean, we, we've been saying it since September. Caden Stearns has been a disappointment at Texas, coming in with big expectations. So, yeah, and that's a great point you make, Justin. I think sacks are up for the same exact reason. Those position groups that really need continuity and need to play like a unit, like the secondary, like the O-line, just aren't having that this year. So sacks are up, passing yards are out of this world. So, yeah, great point. Uh, one guy that I was touting up until he kind of uh, his team fell off the radar and then he just declared for the draft was Paris Ford. Yeah. Um, yes. Through mid-October, he was really good. And then, you know, Kenny Pickett got hurt at quarterback and Pitt just really kind of fell off a cliff. And then Paris Ford shortly declared after that. So, I mean, it, I guess it's just part of that weird situation. Are you going to give this guy who played half the season and then opted out midway through consideration for this award? Or are we just doing guys that only played I don't know, I guess the entire season, right. season in quotations, because it's different for everyone. At the same yeah. time, though, like the first guy, Dre names, Talanoa Hufanga, he might be the best safety that's played. But, but you know, he's played two games. And is it all right to include him when at the end of the year he will play like four games? When we don't really want to include Paris Ford, even though Paris Ford probably played more games and then opted out? You know, they, these are the dumb conversations that we have to have. Yep. And people are going to use it however they want. We're going to see a lot of talking heads this year come up with a lot of really weird justifications for why they did it. And it's going to be all in the sake of, oh, I'm just trying to have a unique take. And I get that. But it's it's going to be a shit show come award season. Here's yeah. Ford is a good shout out. And it, man, it's surprising, you know, two teams that have played all damn year. Well, kind of. Clemson and Alabama, we're not even talking about dudes in those back sevens, barely at all. It's uh, Sertan, just to... and that's it. Yeah, exactly. 
Daniel Wright a bit on Alabama, but still not even close mm-hmm. to like the level of these other guys. Right. Richie Grant at UCF is another. Yeah, one. UCF has a g- really good safety pairing. TCU has a good safety pairing. Cincinnati has a good safety pairing, but Grant definitely one of the big standouts for sure. Tariq Thompson is a really talented safety at San Diego State. Um, I'd have to look up what his production is like. He's a guy that is very, you know, respected around the country. I'm not sure he's, you know, quite having the year to be, you know, thrown into the right. all-American conversation, but right. a really talented dude. Great ball skills. Yeah. I, I think when it comes down to it, I am going to throw Mufanga in there mm. just because, you know, you got to have just like a little tinge of Pac-12 bias. Pound that Pac-12 table, baby. Yeah. It's true. At least like say, hey. I'm not sure if I think he's the best one, but I do think that somebody should say you guys should check him out. And that's the there are dozens of us. Dozens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Kair Elam at Florida, a guy we haven't mentioned. Um, yeah. Is he related to the other Elam? I believe so. And he is kind of more of a cornerback in some ways, but he's another one we want to throw out there. He was, he was one of my favorite players from week one of this season. Yep. And I haven't spent too much time thinking about him since. Yep. Um, but yeah, That's that right. is a good one. Um, let's go to the offensive line now. Um, center for offensive linemen. Center it has to be Creed Humphrey, right? Has to. I got two guys. Ooh, lay it on me. Uh, Drew Dalman from Stanford. Uh, has been very impressive every time I've watched Stanford. And then Landon Dickerson, if you guys follow uh, Ben Fennel on Twitter... He has been posting these highlights, and this man is killing people out there. Roll Tide. He's starting to get some first-round buzz as well. Don't take him in the first round, but he's fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, those actually are really good picks. Um, and there are some decent O-lines around there, but Creed Humphrey's been doing this for a while at Oklahoma. Yeah. 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 He has. That dude's solid. And Josh Myers from Ohio State would be up there too. Uh, they, they just haven't played all that much. And two centers going in the first round would be something. Yeah. Be wild. Be wild. Wouldn't be the first draft I I ever really covered and did a podcast on where we had two guards in the top ten and like six of the top eleven were all offensive linemen. That was rough. That's some premium content. Yeah, truly, truly premium content talking fans off the ledge like <laughs> no he's okay he's okay uh you might not regret this dj fluker at 11 pick he he ended up regretting it have no have no fear he, he sure did um yeah there you go there's our centers and two more interior offensive linemen uh just for any offensive linemen oh outside of okay well definitely darisaw best yeah. tape i saw from an old lineman all year um, Wyatt Davis probably deserves to be in there. He's Trey played Smith? well at Ohio State. Trey Smith. Honestly, I haven't watched a ton of him at Tennessee, so I couldn't say how well he's played. I think Vera Tucker has to be in there. Yeah. Especially on a Pac-12. Has to be there. So there's be three interesting guys. If Tucker makes it and Penny Sewell doesn't. Yeah. Dude. Well, I mean, has to, right? And then what's this Mayfield buzz? What's with Mayfield buzzing? We were we were down on Mayfield. Now he's back up the Michigan right tackle. What's what's going on here? Uh, he was hurt for a bit though. He had a high ankle sprain mm. he was dealing with, so I think he's back now. 
And I'm, I just I'm, think it's a matter of people are just kind of banking. He's 6'5", 320. It's when oh, he moves well, taller, so you're just yeah. kind of banking that it's going to pan out almost he's like a huge. Garrett Bowles type guy. Just there are like, got, there's, he's got the pieces. But. There are three O-line types in this class. One is the hybrid, like probably doesn't have the length at tackle, but could be an Isaiah win. And that's the Slaters, Vera Tuckers, uh, Alex Leatherwoods, those kind of guys. There's the toolsy guys who are set and forget tackles. They just need to be developed for like four years. And that's the North Dakota State guy. That's the Trent Brown at Northern Iowa. That's uh, who am I? Oh, Samuel Cosme is perfect. And then there are the big lumbering, probably right tackle guys. And that's Jackson Carmen, the Clemson tackle. That's uh, Eichenberg, the Notre Dame kid. And that's the guy you guys just mentioned. Um, so it's fun. It, and Tevin Jenkins, who just opted out the right tackle from Oklahoma State, he would fit that mold. So I think we're in agreement with the three spots. It's all about this fourth spot. Yeah. Who do you want to put in there? Boy, that's a lot of responsibility. I'd throw Zion Johnson, who I've praised a lot at Boston College this year out there. I have to put pretty good, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. We're not even talking about them that much. Abram Lucas, the right tackle at Washington State, premier player. You know what, though? I really think it's Eichenberg. He's he played the, really well. Dude, Notre Dame hasn't got nearly enough love on these no, they lists. Haven't. They've been unbelievable this year. They have the marquee win. Uh, but do we believe go. in them? Like it deep in our hearts, I'm just kind of curious because going into the playoff, I'm just I'll put it out there. I'll I'll risk getting cold taked or whatever. I just come playoff time, I just don't see it still. But they're better than they've been, and I know that's not even a fair take, really, because I'm not. It's just I'm betting on culture and past performance. But yeah, and the quarterback. I isn't that like the problem though? Like the four seed just doesn't stack up with the top three seeds. Like yeah, they're I mean, always it's, like it's, little yeah. brother at the table. So whether it's Notre Dame, whether it's, it's Oklahoma, unique, whether it's Michigan Washington, State, any of these teams. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's never like the stout four. It's always like, oh man, that one matchup's gonna be crazy. And then like, oh wow, Clemson's gonna whoop their ass, huh? In that yeah. second game. It's like, yeah, probably. Um I don't know. I do kind of believe you're in not Notre wrong. Dame, though, man. They've got Dude. guys on both sides. They are big. They are physical. Uh, yeah. Kyron Williams is running really well, and Ian Book is pulling his best Johnny Manziel impression out, man. He's been amazing. So, I mean, I can, I can completely get why you don't believe in Notre Dame, and, you know, I'm a bit hesitant myself, but I think if there's a year, it's this weird COVID year, man. They've been great. They, they look Certainly the part the more than they ever have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they look the part. Henry, is that all of them? We uh, don't have offensive skill positions? Just no, that'll be on next week's ballot. But uh, uh I swear you told us that is the Outland trophy, which goes to the best interior lineman, offense mm. or defense. Mm. And we need mm. to come up with our top three. It's not defense. Yeah. This is the crappiest interior D line class I've ever studied, man. Yeah. But like Mar Marvin Wilson, is he the best of the bunch? Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> I think you look through mocks right now. You're going to see one of those dudes in the top 50 picks. One might be Chris Barrymore from Bama. Has he impressed you a ton, Justin? Or he's like, he's I, right? 
It's no Quentin Williams. Well, yeah, I mean, he's flashed at times, but he yeah. just kind of disappears in the shuffle. It's yeah. nothing. It's been all about the linebackers for Alabama this year. Uh, yeah, oh, totally. I don't. There's not really anybody I can think of from a defensive line perspective. Even the it's offensive line. Crazy. I mean, I guess Creed Humphrey. I guess if we're going yeah. best interior lineman, he seems yeah. like an obvious pick. But OU hasn't, you know, quite lived up. Do we want to give somebody else that's maybe shined and outplayed their expectations? Right. Well, Bama kid, Wyatt Davis would be up there. Yeah. I I have number one, Creed Humphrey, two, Wyatt Davis, three, Drew Dahlman. Really argue that, honestly. Yeah, I, mean, I think you nailed it, to be honest. There you go. Nothing but A pluses for you, Hank. Well done. <laughs> uh, top three, um, top three defensive players, any position. Oh, that's so hard. Ooh. I'm getting Nate Landman in there. Man, no. No, not you're not, not enough sample size. Him? Not enough sample size. I'm not okay, the fi- sample size decisions. I'm putting it's, the best players out there. Up to us to find three better than than and I we're starting with JOK. Xavier Collins. JOK. Both JOK for better. sure. And then uh Sertain, I think maybe. I mean, if we're talking just high-profile guys, that'd be the only other guy high-profile. I wouldn't throw any of the Georgia cornerbacks in there, you know. Um, Sertain's going to – he's going to – where he's going to get hurt in this argument is people are going to look at how many points Bama's given up all season, and then they're going to say, well, how do you highlight a corner sure. for a team that hasn't stopped anybody through the air all year? I mean, it's a valid argument kind Except of. Except Auburn, but Bo Nix is not a great quarterback, so. No. It is tough to give it to a corner. It this people will hear us mulling that this over and maybe think, boy, they were underprepared for this. This really tells you how this year in this draft class is all about the position groups. Yeah, it's uh, or the skill the skill groups on offense. That's everything it is. That's why I'm obsessed over a top seven pick because you get in that twelve to fifteen range. There's not going to be the value at what the Broncos are looking for. If they wanted another wide receiver, a stud tight end, then yeah, the value galore. But it, it doesn't line up. Um, That's how you wind up with Joseph Osai. Yeah, where things get tricky. See, Dre, you're out here shaming us, and we're now you see how we got to that position. Like any great comedian, I love nothing more than a good callback. Um, so very well played by you. Uh, so we we've acknowledged it's it's JOK and I mean Taron Jackson. We could go back to him at Coastal Carolina just because what he's doing from a statistical production. A lot of these awards, you know, it's about who puts up big numbers, not who would I want to draft on my team. It's who was special in college football. Guys like him and Collins were special, but it was just against such lesser competition that it's really hard to to give him that big award. There just hasn't been very many impactful defensive performances, I think, all around. I mean, you think about just, I mean, the one that comes to mind would be uh, JOK against Clemson. I mean, that was yeah. the one performance, yeah. I think, defensively. Maybe Jace Horn against uh, Auburn, yeah. where it was like the defensive But now players. Auburn isn't even the team we you know thought they might be, so... Yeah, for sure. But those are the only performance I can think of a defensive player really kind of taking over the game. And to go to Andre's point, I mean... This is a this is a seven on seven draft, man. It's all perimeter guys, quarterbacks. I mean, uh, just looking at my spreadsheet here, I've got like 
35 names at wide receiver. I sorting out this wide receiver class is going to be a pain. I've got 27 guys yeah. at running back. I mean, it's just, it's and then wild. you go to edge, I've got 16. So yep. and for that reason, when I was mapping out, like what should the Broncos do? It's like, they have three seventh round picks. Just go get yourself some wide receivers and running back. And as crazy as that sounds, given what you have on the roster, that's what a value is. And you might just hit on a guy. Totally. So just so Lindsay, who knows? We're falling over ourselves to find three dudes. I know your guys are talking about big defensive performances, huh? Who had one? Oh, wait. Maybe Henry has a point here that Nate Landman deserves. Which included five third down stops. He ended five drives himself. Week before, you know, there were the 14 solo tackles, but who talks about that? You know what? Throw him in. He's not going to get many mentions there otherwise. You, go. you, got, you have to. You got to carry the flag. Yep. The other thing we're saying is these awards will be won in December. True. These that, are yeah. all prime for the taking. Yeah. I think that's Very. definitely the, the, what hurts Landman right now is you just you look at his numbers on a per game on a per game basis they shape up like you've already brought up sacks mm-hmm. per game tackles mm-hmm. per game he is producing in what we have seen but it's not against the greatest offenses in the world I think UCLA's offense is better than we thought. San Diego State is as one-dimensional as it gets from an offense. I mean, they run the ball, and that's it. But he's putting up great numbers. Exactly. I, I think he's a stud. I'm the CSU guy, and I tweeted the other day that I hope he ends up in Denver. So this is not a, yeah. you know, Justin's anti-Nate Landman. I, I freaking love the guy. I just think it's maybe not fair with some of these other guys, Taron Jackson, Collins at Tulsa, that have done it all year. But I get it. You know, it's, it's yeah. just against lesser competition. And, like, to go back to the – they they – beat up on UCLA. Well, Demetric Felton for the season, including week one, is averaging 160 yards per game, rushing. He put up 57 against Colorado, which means he's averaging like 200 in the rest of them. And so there, there are things like that that you can bank on, but I mean, doing it for a couple more weeks will be huge for Nate and honestly everybody else in the Pac-12. All right. There you go. I think we've solved yeah. Let's take a quick break uh, before we close this out with our picks for this uh, college football slate. I believe uh, maybe a a cool down with some Strava, Henry, before we get into that. I believe you'd be right. And, uh, you know, it's only a cool down if you go with the cold brew. Mm. But there are so many different things you can get from Strava Craft Coffee and really do whatever you want with. You know, you can get the beans, you can get the grounds, you can get the K-Cups. Uh, If you're an adult, maybe you know how to do something with like those things and not just a cup of coffee. Shout out to you for that. Uh, But Strava Craft Coffee is CBD infused coffee. It's changing people's lives. It's the best way to get CBD into you because it's just so easy and regular. You know how like the doctor sometimes gives you pills and it's like, okay, remember to take these every morning at this time. It's like, yeah, sure. I'll probably remember. Well, You don't even have to think about getting your daily CBD when you put it in your coffee because you just drink your coffee every day anyway. It's one less thing to think about. And actually, it's two less things to think about because you can actually subscribe and they'll just deliver it to your door. So you don't even have to like go in and buy coffee. You don't have to go through the internet and buy coffee either every like week or two weeks um, because they will just automatically bring it to you as often as you want. Every two, three, four, six or eight weeks. The best part is, Uh, Any product that you're subscribing to, you're going to get 20% off of that product every single time. So that's a steal. If you aren't ready to commit, uh, you're out of your mind. But also, you can still save 20% off your first purchase 
even if you aren't subscribing, using the code DMVR20. Uh, so get into Strava Craft Coffee. It's good stuff. You need your coffee. You need your CBD. And they make it really easy. And uh, they make it taste good, too. So Strava Craft Coffee. Buy some. Baller stuff. Uh, interesting slate. Interesting slate. We we got a, I mean, a true college football miracle like none before that I have ever seen because just... Uh, when things look darkest, we get Coastal Carolina against BYU. I thought you were going to say no Pac-12 cancellations. Well, yeah, what more could you it's ask? Too early to say that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. You did get a, a game postponed to Sunday too. I mean, we'll see. The, the Pac-12 is kind of on my shit list. Um, so, it's so it's been the best thing on TV. Oh too my. many games canceled. I need more of the best things on TV. It has not been the best thing on TV. Henry. Coastal Carolina, Classic. Oregon, Oregon State. That was the best game of the week. That was a great game. Well, yeah, you got me beat there. What is the name of that game again? Have we, has, has one been chosen, or is it just it's not yet? The Civil War, isn't it? It was no, the Civil that, War. That canceled, oh, right? did that get canceled? Yeah, it got canceled. My bad, guys. Like I'm not even being sarcastic. I just genuinely didn't know that that happened. I found out while watching the game too, dude. So don't even fret. Yeah. Oh, but you had that. You had some close games. I think Utah was right in one. I mean, it all just comes down to what your perspective of the teams are, and that's where the U.S. more Pac-12 always get the nuts. It's like, well, Oregon State sucks. That just means Oregon sucks. And as well, like, well, actually, Tristan Gebbia has been kind of dope all season. They have Jamar Jefferson, one of the best running backs in the country, and Hamilton Rashad has been a monster, just like we all expected. And so are they really that bad? I don't know. They did just they cover the Mountain West. You don't have to use this argument against me. I get it. I get it all <laughs> yeah. the way. Back to I'll sit here and defend Nevada Carolina. and San Jose State until I can't speak anymore. I'm not sure about San Jose State, but I will say Nevada's kind of dope. They've made me some money. Nevada's killing it. Will Coastal Carolina hosting BYU cover the 10 and a half? Uh, no. I've got BYU wow. blowout here. I don't think this is close. I think BYU knows this is their path to the playoff. And this is just the start. Like, they need to do something pretty crazy to Coastal Carolina and, and then probably find another game to add to the schedule and look good there, too. But what I will say is that BYU – has played one ranked team all season and won that game 51 to 17. Uh, this team hasn't been tested. And I think that there's even another level that BYU can get to. That offense is incredible. Uh, I think it's top five in the country pretty easily. And I don't think Coastal Carolina is in this game in the second half. Just love it. Yeah, Jake, all for it. Okay. Okay. I think Man, it's going to be closer than Henry thinks. Yeah, I do too. But maybe not enough to cover this spread. Yeah, I think it's more. I think it ends up being you know a game that where BYU they lead pretty comfortably by ten to fourteen most of the game. Maybe they pull away, but I don't think it's going to be a situation where they just go out there and and massacre them. Coastal plays everybody tough, and yep. you know they're on their own. They're on their own turf. You know they got their teal swag going. Look good, play good, feel good, all that crap. We'll see. Maybe they'll trick. BYU and they're thinking they're playing JV ball with that setup. <laughs> also, I should add, I'm a bit ashamed to say I haven't watched Coastal yet. They just oh. haven't really made made the cut for me on my weekly watch list, so I'm just really intrigued to watch this team. Yeah, me too. Coastal I, can I run like the ball too. Games. Mm. Mm. Dude, but BYU in the trenches, like they just good. Good. They, they recruit the Pacific Islands better than anybody. 
and I mean, except for like Utah, but this year they're ahead of Utah, obviously, because half of Utah's talent. Oh, BYU out recruits Utah in that regard. Utah yeah, does better in state than BYU does, but the, the international stuff, BYU dominates. Yeah. Well, it's kind of crazy how that works because I guess, I mean, I went down like a deep rabbit hole when I was learning about the Pac 12 on why Utah has the recruiting ties. And it's because of like the Mormon missions. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's yeah. Mormon missions that go out into the islands that those people who are good at football just say like, where do I want to go? I want to go where there are people like me and it feels like there's a community. So Utah just has like this pipeline into the islands, which is like, uh, it's one of the cool things about college football is how all that stuff works. Totally. All right, what's next? Indiana, Wisconsin, the other ranked matchup we have. And we have the Badgers. As almost two touchdown favorites because, of course, this what should be an amazing matchup gets ruined because of the quarterback injury Indiana suffered. So, yeah, Wisconsin at home, 13 and a half point favorite. I was telling Henry, this is a classic COVID game. Don't know what to expect. Have no clue what to expect from this backup quarterback. So this is a stay away, but we don't do stay aways on this show. Thus. I'm going with the Hoosiers. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going Um, with the Hoosiers. Yeah. It's a rough gambling week, dude. Some of these spreads are insane. I mean, Bama 28 and a half points against LSU. I know LSU has been bad, but it's just one of those. It's a rivalry game. Yeah. You're, you want to bet on a five score victory. That's, that's a tough one. Even Oklahoma 22 point favorites over Baylor. I don't trust Baylor, but do I trust Oklahoma to, you know, cover a 22 point spread? I don't know. New Mexico, Wyoming. Wyoming's an 18-point favorite in that one. I could and see in, them covering there. In December in college football, those big spreads are be warned. Be warned. Exactly. Yeah. It's just there's not a lot of games this week that really jump out to me from a from a betting perspective. Notre yeah. Dame, 34-point favorites as well. I I do like Indiana. I do think that's good value. I think like like Graham Mertz did not look like what he looked like before COVID. And who knows, maybe that's just a little bit of rust. But the three picks last week, I I, I think that two touchdowns is a lot. But again, like if the backup quarterback just flops, then there goes your bet probably. Yeah. yeah. I do – Indiana did make like my five favorite picks this week. Hmm. I think I'm with Andre. I think that's a stay away from me, man. Yeah. Well, and another one, you know, the Ohio State, Michigan State, that's at 23 and a half. Tennessee – Florida rivalry game. That's at 17 and a half. The only spread where I like the favorite outside of BYU is Texas A&M minus five and a half against Auburn. Us talking about what trash Auburn is really talked me into this. That's a juicy one. So A&M last week, though, still only put up 20 points against LSU. So, yep. Colorado seven and a half point favorites. Are they covering that, Henry? Be easy. That I mean that that line has moved like four points since it opened. But I mean, Colorado has just been consistently undervalued by Vegas. Like they beat the spread in week one by twelve and a half points, and that's with like letting a team back into the game late. Um, and week two they beat the spread by twelve and a half points. Last week they only got it by five and a half. But again, two days notice to have that game, and it was just vanilla. I I think that against this Arizona team, especially with Arizona 
we, we don't know because it's college football whether Grant Gannell, the quarterback, is going to be back. But if, if he's not back, they don't even stand a what, what I'm going to do is the same thing I've done with other Colorado games and split my bet half on the spread and half with the spread plus a touchdown and try to move this up closer, like minus 13 and a half and pull even more value out of it because it, this one shouldn't be close. A couple more I like, though, while we're here. Um, Michigan State, Dre mentioned it, um, plus 24. I think that that's really good value. Like, I'm not in on Mel Tucker for all of the reasons that everybody can assume. Um, but what I can say is that they've beaten ranked teams in two of the last three weeks. And Ohio State's only beaten one team by 24 points all season. And so I, I do think that there's some good value there. Um, also, Florida minus 17 and a half against Tennessee. I think that with Kyle mm. Pitts back, they cover that. Um, I, I'm pretty pumped about that bet as well. Um, I guess we are covered in Indiana. So, yeah. Florida, Florida's been killing people, so I do like they that one. Killing yep. people. But we just have this whole talk about large spreads. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. Who are they playing, Justin? Nevada. They're six-and-a-half-point favorites over Fresno State. And Fresno, actually, sneaky dog. You know, they're plus 175 on the money line. Might be worth testing a little bit. They're running the football really well right now. They got an athletic quarterback, Ronnie Rivers, really talented back. But I just... I love what Nevada's offense has got going with Carson Strong right now. They're running the football on top of that. And they kind of just let him, you know, sit back there and, and just launch bombs. And I think it's going to be hard for Fresno State to keep up for four quarters. Given that it's only a six and a half point spread, I'd kind of jump on that because I think Nevada wins by a touchdown at least. What about San Jose State? Just a two point favorite going to Hawaii, though. Obviously, rotor away, massive swing for Hawaii. It's, it, that's the thing is the island is the great equalizer. Yeah, it is. I mean, Hawaii at home, it's like, you know, the hefty, 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 wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. That is Hawaii. Like yeah. on the road, I would take anybody to cover against Hawaii. At yes. home, I'm pretty much always going on Hawaii. I really do like this San Jose State team. Yeah. I like Nick Starkle, the quarterback they got from Arkansas. On the road, right. though, I think this could be some some upset potential for Hawaii. There Cordero's go. a good, good athletic quarterback. Yeah. Pac-12 games kind of, I mean, they don't suck. I'm really excited to see them. But the thing is like Arizona state only played that first game of the season. And now they've lost half of that awesome secondary covering three points against UCLA. Like you could talk me into a blowout either way in this one. Um, and in this episode of Henry Chisholm talks himself into Pac-12 games. Um, <laughs> These games are going to be UCLA, Arizona State. That's going to be a great game. 8.30 Saturday night. Like, that is probably the game I'm most excited for. Love me some Pac-12 after dark, man. Oh, yeah. That That's going to get wild. Jaden Daniels in his first game back since week one. They have that dope defense. But Demetric Felton has been unstoppable unless he's playing the Buffs. So... Who knows? Chip Kelly's going to have something up his sleeve. Well, that's going to do it for us, folks. Um, Thanks for tuning in. We will be back with more, probably a mock draft next week. Yeah, We'll see what edge rusher you try to sneak in on us that time around. Um, Until then, best of luck with those college football picks. Thanks, fellas, for being with us and doing this extra long show. Beautiful to be back, and uh, we'll do more awards and all that good stuff, too, and send us some questions if you got them. We'll talk soon.
sit in jail.